Could you just raise your hands and let that be your prayer right now all over this house? I know it's Wednesday night, but could you just let a shout come out of your spirit? Hallelujah. 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 Lord, you're worthy of all praise and adoration. You're worthy of everything that we can give you, Lord. No matter how weary our bodies may be, Lord. No matter how overwhelmed may be by this life, God. You're worthy of all praise. You're worthy of all praise. You're worthy of all praise. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. Your name is worthy to be praised. I will bless the Lord at all times. You're worthy to be praised, Lord. You're worthy to be praised. You're worthy, Lord. I thank you that you woke me up this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you put breath in my body. I thank you, Lord, that you ordered my steps today. I thank you, Lord, that you ordered my thoughts today. I thank you, Lord, that you put food on my table. You put clothes on my back. I thank you, Lord, that I've got a roof over my head. I thank you, Lord, because you are the God who provides all things. And you're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Could you just say, thank you, Lord. Aren't you glad to be in the house of the Lord tonight? Amen. I'm so thankful. Thank you for everybody who's helped us. Thank you, worship team, for being flexible. Thank you, media team. Thank you, Garrett and Sylvia, everybody that's helped us. You know, I love this saying, and I say it all the time, and I have to remind myself, blessed are the flexible, for they will not be bent out of shape. <laughs> and here in a few months, when we're next door, we're going to look back on nights like this, and we're going to say, thank you. Amen. I said, we're going to say, thank you. Come on, somebody. Amen. So I'm thankful to be here. And uh, hopefully at your um, pew is a handout. And I'm going to take you to James chapter 1. And we're going to read a couple of verses. James chapter 1. A bondservant of God of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. In other words, James is writing to... Those who have been dispersed. Everybody say dispersed. He introduces himself and then verse 2. My brethren, what does he say? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all right? To all, everybody say to all, liberally and without reproach and will be given to him. But let him ask how? In faith, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed for the wind. I'll take you back to verse two. My brethren, count it, what? All joy. Everybody say all joy. Which when you fall into what? Various trials. How many of you are in, presently, coming out of, or don't know, how many of you are in a struggle, a problem, or a situation that only God can fix? Amen? 
I feel like I'm in the right place. Lord, anoint your word right now. Speak to us out of the character and the power of that word. Deliver to us what you have for us tonight. Let it come alive in our spirit in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. You may be seated. I do want to say, I I think that the majority of you, before I dive into these notes, I think that the majority of you have been here on Sunday. And Pastor has been preaching to us a series of messages that have been extremely challenging and extremely helpful. Amen? The message that he preached a couple of weeks ago on how to deal with difficult people was an amazing message. And if you weren't here and you did not hear that, uh, I adjure you to go back and listen to that. And I'm thankful that he's not afraid to preach to himself as he preaches to us. Amen. So go back and listen to that. But we're going to spend a couple of weeks here in the book of James. I love the book of James because James seems to be like a practical manual to Christian living. Amen. When you normally write a letter, and this is what this is, this is James writing a letter to the church, you figure that you would just ease into the subject, but James does not ease into the subject, does he? He introduces himself and he announces who he is, and then in verse 2 he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I would like to get a letter like that. (laughs) Hey, this is who I am, but guess what? Be happy that you're facing a trial or a problem or a challenge. How difficult it would be for us to be happy in that situation because obviously the person that may be writing that letter to us may not understand the situation that we're going through, all right? The key phrase here is because you know. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not in your notes, but I wish I'd put it there. My attitude is determined by my understanding. Let me say that again. My attitude is determined by my understanding. So rejoicing is not just positive thinking, but it's based on some facts in life. There are four facts here that I hope to equip you with and add value to your life here, but there's four things that you really must know, and these are in your notes. Number one, problems are inevitable. Problems are inevitable. The Bible doesn't say if you encounter problems, consider it joy, but what? When you count all right, when you, when you encounter these problems, uh, consider it all joy. In other words, uh, check your pulse right now. If you have a pulse, you have problems. It's a fact of life. Jesus says in this world, you're going to have tribulation. Peter says, don't be surprised when they come against you and you have problems. In other words, count on it. Problems are not an elective course in life. They are a required course. And you don't get out of them by just saying that you don't have any. You don't get out of problems by just putting your head in the sand and ignoring them. Why? Because no one is immune from the challenges of this world. 
Number two, problems are unpredictable. Problems are unpredictable. He says, whenever you face problems, the word there in the Greek for face literally means to fall into unexpectedly. It's the same word used in the story of the Good Samaritan where the man fell among the thieves. It was unexpected. We know that trials are many times not planned. We wouldn't plan them if we could. Anybody with me? We seldom can anticipate the problems we're going to experience in this life. And that's probably good because if we could anticipate them, we would run the other way and we would not get the benefit of going through them. We don't plan to have a flat tire. Amen. We don't plan to have a crisis. Right. We don't plan. All right. To burn the roast. Amen. We don't plan. Okay. We don't plan. I remember one Easter, one time we put a brisket on at the house. We, we always go out for Easter. There's a lot of places, even in Houston that are still open. Many of them are closed, but some of them are open. But this, this Easter, we decided, Pastor, we were going to put on a roast in a roaster and we were going to come home and have a wonderful Easter lunch after an exhausting weekend. And we walked in and the moment that we opened the door, the plans that we had failed. Because it wasn't a brisket anymore. It was a burnt offering unto the Lord. It's unplanned and it's unpredictable. But that's what makes a problem a problem. Often it's inconvenient when you fall into it suddenly. Number three, problems are always of many kinds. In other words, there's many types of issues. They all come in different shapes or sizes. One thing about problems uh, is you never get bored with them. It's kind of like going to Baskin Robbins. There's 31 flavors, so you don't have to worry about just eating vanilla or chocolate. There's always a variety of problems. The word in the Greek for many kinds is literally multicolored. Anybody ever tried to match paint? Anybody ever tried to match paint that's more than five years old? Come on, somebody. You talk about a problem. There are problems of many shades and varieties and they vary in intensity and they vary in duration. Sometimes they're just minor inconveniences. Sometimes they're major crises. But problems come to us in all shape, forms, and fashions. The fourth thing that we've got to understand that problems have a purpose. Let me say that again. Problems have a purpose. Now, this is the part that we don't like. All right? Problems have a purpose. Whether we like it or not, problems can have a purpose. Pain can be productive. Pressure produces things in our life. Suffering can accomplish something. You say, David, how can problems have value in my life? Number one, problems purify my faith. He uses the word testing here. Everybody say testing. As in testing gold and silver and when you heat them up hot enough uh, until the impurities, they call it the dross, uh, has burned off. Uh, Job says he has tested me through the refining fire and I have come out as pure gold. Uh, The first thing that trials do is they test our faith uh, and they purify us. Um, I believe, ladies and gentlemen, that Christians are a lot like tea bags. Uh, You don't know what's in them until you drop them in some hot water. See, your faith gets developed when things don't go as you planned. Oh, I wish I could get a witness. I thought I was preaching to some real people here, dealing with some real situations. Uh, My faith does not really get developed until I deal with something that does not go according to the way that I planned it to. 
My faith develops when I don't feel like doing what's right. It purifies my faith. We should be like steel. We should be steel enough to be tested. And when we come out tested, we come out on the other side stronger. I said we should come out on the other side of this stronger. We should come out on the other side of this better. I don't like the pressure. I don't like what I'm going through. But God, obviously you said it has a purpose. So when I come out on the other side of this, I'm coming out better than I when I went in. Problems produce pressure. And when that pressure comes, when it, what comes out of us, let me tell you something very carefully. And I want you to hear me very carefully. What comes out of us under pressure is usually where we find our hope and put our faith. What comes out of us under pressure usually is where we find our hope and put our faith. But if you know anything about clay pots, ladies and gentlemen, you must understand that the only ones that have gone through the the test and the fire are the only ones useful. You didn't hear that. I said the only the only clay pots that are useful are the ones who have gone through the fire. God is using the purifying fire of struggle, pain, and suffering to refine what the focus of the believer's faith should be. And instead of looking to those other things to shape our spiritual identity and faith, those things like comfort and pride, those things begin to be stripped away from us. Why? Because they cannot stand under the weight of the pressure that's put upon them. And only the believer who comes out stronger can truly put his reliance upon God and his word in his willingness to allow the believer to become more like Christ uh, God does not allow anything to be wasted in the lives uh, of those he calls his own Uh, I've said it a dozen times and I'll say it again Uh, God did not cause me to fall and break my leg uh, but he won't waste it And about two or three weeks into that, Pastor, after I'd laid hands on myself, uh, hour after hour, prayed all the prayer of faith that I knew to pray, uh, I believed that in the next doctor's report that God was going to heal me. I believed that I was not going to have to have surgery. But guess what? I wound up having surgery anyway. So I said, okay, God, I guess it's just you and me. Because I can't go anywhere. And obviously you have a purpose and a plan for this. I know you didn't cause it, but God, whatever you do, don't waste it. I said, God, whatever you do, don't waste it. So I don't know what you're going through tonight on this Wednesday night. But whatever it is, you need to back up and look at yourself in the mirror and say, God, I don't understand this. I don't know the end of it. But God, whatever you do, don't waste it. God does not allow anything to be wasted in the lives of the ones he calls his own. Not only are disappointments or failures wasted, but neither is our pain. One of my favorite authors and speakers, Dr. Tim Keller, wrote this. And I quote, when suffering comes, timidity and cowardice and selfishness, self-pity, tendencies toward bitterness and dishonesty, all of these impurities of the soul are revealed and drawn out by trials and suffering. Just as a furnace draws out the impurities and refines the unrefined metal ore, finally we can be who we really are. Because, of course, how the believer comes out of this uh, is a choice. I said, it's a choice. Look at your neighbor and says, it's a choice. 
Look at your other neighbor and say, how you come out of this is your choice. It may not have been your choice to go through the wilderness, uh, but how you come out of the wilderness is your choice. I said, it's your choice. Uh, Who am I talking to here tonight? Uh, When someone goes through suffering, uh, we can allow it to work itself for our good uh, and turn it into God's glory. uh, Or we can embrace the bitterness uh, of offense uh, and pain uh, and hurt uh, and allow it to drive us into a place of darkness uh, and intimidation by the enemy. uh, Or we can throw our hands up and say, when I come out, I said, when I come out, when I get through this you see offense will come but staying offended is your choice it will come but staying offended is your choice and let me tell you something else ladies and gentlemen staying in the wilderness in a difficult place uh, in a place of bitterness uh, is your choice as well uh, but if you'll lay yourself before the Lord uh, and say God I don't know what you're trying to teach me here uh, but I plan on learning the lesson this time uh, I don't plan on coming back through here again uh, I plan on learning the lesson this time uh, and if you'll bring me out uh, I'm going to give you a prayer Praise. I said, I'm going to give you praise. I believe God's about to bring you out. Look at your neighbor and say, God's about to do it. But he's not done working in your life. Number two, problems fortify our patience. I said it the other day, don't ever pray for patience. But problems fortify our patience. The Bible says the testing of your faith develops perseverance. He's talking about staying power. About a, not a passive patience, but a staying power. An endurance. Everybody say an endurance. The Greek word here literally means the ability to stay under pressure. We don't like pressure. And we do everything that we can to avoid pressure. We run from pressure. Anybody with me? We take drugs, we drink alcohol, we go shopping on Amazon. We binge on Netflix, we eat junk food, anything that we can to get away from the pressure. But God is using the problems in our life to teach us how to handle pressure. And he's teaching us something about how not to give up. I said about how not to give up. I said God is trying to teach us how not to give up. How does God teach us patience? By everything going our way? Nope. God teaches you patience in traffic jams. God teaches you patience in grocery lines. You ever got in a grocery line and the person in front of you had like 17,000 coupons? Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. And then they got out their checkbook. (laughs) God teaches you patience through marriage. I've always said that marriage is a great sanctifier. God teaches you patience through your children. God teaches you patience through your boss. God even teaches us patience through dealing with insurance companies and building contractors. Hallelujah. We live in a comfortable and convenient society. Everybody wants it now. Right? 
We want it just like Burger King. We want it our way. And if we can't have it now and we can't have it our way, then forget about it. But endurance today is a rare quality. We can't even endure the extra couple of minutes it takes to cook our chicken at Popeye's. The other day I called and I was going to call in my order. And, I, and she said, are you on your way? And I said, yes, ma'am. And she says, well, it's going to be five extra minutes for white meat. And I said, no, thank you. That's okay. I don't have five minutes to waste. Give me something else. I wrote my undergrad thesis on the subject of sanctification. Even though justification is instantaneous in our salvation. Ladies and gentlemen, sanctification is a progressive process. God's not done with you yet. We used to sing a little song in children's church. Said, God is still working on me. One of my favorite quotes as a part of that project was from the theologian J.C. Ryle who said that through the process of becoming more like Jesus, we should deplore all methods of instant living. I love that. We should deplore all methods of instant living. In other words, too many times we get in too much of a hurry and we forget what God's trying to do in our life. Another author likened our discipleship process as a long obedience in the right direction. It's methodical. God is what? Working on us and he's working in us. And he's trying to produce something in us. Hear me very carefully. That you cannot produce in yourself. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. You can't produce enough holiness by yourself. You can't produce enough Christ-like character in your own life by yourself. Number three, problems sanctify my character. Problems sanctify my character. In other words, they make me more like Jesus. The testing of your faith produces perseverance that you may be mature and complete. Everybody say complete. Not lacking anything. This is God's long-range goal. His ultimate purpose is maturity. Look at your neighbor, especially if you're sitting by your spouse, and say, God wants you just to simply grow up. You know what the bottom line of living the life of Christianity is? Maturity. Maturity in our character. And so many Christians that I talk to have absolutely no idea of God's agenda in their life. And they don't know what's happening. And as a result, guess what happens? They begin to be overwhelmed by the problems in their life. I put this in your handout. You should write this down. God's number one purpose in my life is to make me more like Jesus Christ. God's number one purpose in my life is to make me more like Jesus Christ. God is much more interested in building my character than he is in allowing me to stay comfortable. If God is going to make me like Jesus, he's going to take me through the things that Jesus went through. And there's times when Jesus was lonely. And there's time when Jesus was fatigued. And there's time when Jesus was tempted. And there's times when Jesus was discouraged. 
how do we become more Christ-like? Number one, we have to understand that the word of God sanctifies us. John 17, 17 says this, sanctify them through your truth. The word of God is that truth. Uh, James 1 says the word makes us more like Jesus. It builds our character and it matures us. I think James hits it right on the head. So many Christians I meet have met over the course of my ministry say things like everything was going great when I first became a believer. You ever heard that before? Then all the problems came. Maybe God doesn't love me after all. Maybe I'm really not a Christian. Maybe I'm not really saved. I have to wonder if some people have even read about the New Testament church. Where do we get this idea that once we gave our life and surrendered our life to the Lord according to the New Testament, where do we get our idea that everything was going to be a bunch of roses? And then, Pastor, if we'd have enough faith and we believe enough and we'd say enough scriptures, then nothing's going to be bad going to happen into our life. Where do you find that in the scripture? I'd love to find that out. But I don't look, I look at the lives of Peter. I look at the lives of Paul. I look at the lives of John. I look at the lives of great men of faith uh, who did what? They endured to the end. I said they endured to the end. I know some of you hadn't been in this very long, and I know some of you have been in this a lot longer, but let me tell you something. It's never about how long you've been in it. It's how long, how you finish. It's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. And what I'm talking about tonight is I'm talking about enduring to the end. Enduring with an understanding that God, you're producing in something in me that I cannot produce myself. And no matter how much I talk in tongues and no matter how much I believe and no, I can come out of a three hour prayer meeting uh, and I can be floating on the, I can be, I can be quoting all kinds of scriptures and I can hear brother Ashton playing the keyboard and worshiping to myself uh, and I can walk right into the living room and get in a fight with my wife. Why? Because your flesh is still flesh. And God's still working on you. And he's working on me. Now, here's the beautiful thing about that. Since he's not done, hear me very carefully. It's going to sound dumb, but it's good truth. Since he's not done, he's not done. No, no, you didn't hear me. I said, since he's not done, he's not done. In other words, he's not done with you. He's still working on you. Uh, you still got purpose. Uh, God's not, I don't care how old you are, God still's got a plan for your life. Uh, I don't care how young you are, God still got a purpose for your life. Why? He's not done with you. Everything was, we have to understand this. You are exactly where God wants you. And he's making you more like Jesus. Romans 8, 28. We love this scripture. We know that all things work together for good. Not all things are good. Not all things are good, but not all things work what? Together for good. If we love God. And called according to his purpose. But here's the challenge. We leave it off and we don't quote the next verse. For whom he did foreknow, he did preston, be predestined, excuse me, to become what? Conformed to the image. 
of the Son of God. Why do all things work together for our good? In order to make me more like Jesus. In order to make me more like Christ. How does God teach us the fruit of the Spirit? By allowing us to be in the exact same opposite situation. God's trying to teach you love. He allows you to be around unloving people. That's how he works. That's why I said don't pray for patience. You're going to find yourself in the most impossible impatient situations. If he's trying to teach us joy, he allows us to walk through valleys of despair. Why? So we'll lean on him and know that our only our joy is only in him. Peace. God's trying to teach you peace. He'll allow you to be right in the middle of chaos. The dinner's burning. The phone is ringing. The diaper's loaded. The cat grabs the dog. Come on, somebody. Homework is missing. And you know what? You don't learn peace laying on the beach in the islands. That's where you learn peace, right in the middle of chaos. Why? Because God's not done working on me. Patience through times of waiting. How many have been waiting on something? Ephesians says, 2.10, one of my favorite verses, we are God's, I like this version better, masterpiece. We are God's workmanship. In other words, God is trying to build into us a masterpiece understanding. He wants us to be mature, complete, and not lacking anything. But that's only if we reach full maturity in Christ Jesus. So how do I handle my problems? How do I handle my problems? Give you the solution here. Number one, you got to learn how to rejoice. Learn how to rejoice. Consider it pure joy when you face these trials. Don't misunderstanding what James is saying. He's not saying fake it till you make it. He's not saying put on a Pollyanna plastic smile and just try to go through life. And act like nothing's wrong. God never asks you to deny reality. He doesn't mean some psychological pumped up based on nonsense and nothing. He's not talking either about masochism. I want to suffer. I love to suffer. I feel so spiritual when I suffer. No, you're not a martyr. We don't rejoice for the problem. But we can rejoice in the problem. We don't thank God for the problem, but we can thank God in the middle of the problem. Why would I thank God for evil? But I still can thank God in the middle of the situation. One of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. If you want to know God's will for your life, it's simple. In everything give thanks. It does not say for everything give thanks. Why should someone thank God for having cancer? Why should someone thank God for having an accident? Why would we thank God for a war in the Ukraine? Why would we thank God for losing a family member? No, that's not the God that we serve. But it says in, in. Everything give thanks. Why? It, hear me very carefully. It means that we can thank God because we know that he can even take the bad and turn it into good. See, you want to know what's so powerful about the gospel? I was raised up in church. 
all my life. Thank God for that. I thank God for incredible heritage. You, many of you have heard my pastor teach. I thank God for that incredible heritage. I have a tremendous godly parents. But here's one thing that I failed to realize as a child, not because it probably wasn't taught to me, but I just failed to realize it in my immaturity. And I want to, I want you to hear me very carefully, especially you very mature believers. We forget that the gospel is more than just Acts 2.38. The gospel, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, I, I'm, you, you, you don't take my word for it, take Paul's word for it. He's a pretty good authority on that, right? He says the gospel is this. It's the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we understand that we respond to that by repenting, being baptized, and being filled with the Holy Ghost. But ladies and gentlemen, the gospel is more than a formula of salvation. And the gospel is the only thing that can give you hope. And the pivotal point of the gospel is the cross and the resurrection. And if we don't understand that, we will not understand the ability to look at the face of something that is bad and evil in our life and understand that God can turn it into something good because God took the ultimate defeat of Jesus Christ on the cross and it looked like that death had defeated the purpose of God in salvation but we know the rest of the story that God took that same salvation and with the death of Christ put to death death I said put to death death the most fearful thing in the human logic and the human vocabulary God took something that looked impossible and it looked overwhelming and it looked like the end was there and he took it and he turned it for his good for his glory and for our purpose I wish I could preach this right now. It doesn't matter what you're facing right now. There is still a resurrection. There is still an understanding that if God did it then, he can do it now. He can take the bad in my life and turn it for good. Why? Here's the, here's the answer. I'm sorry. I don't know why I'm getting off on this, but this is good. Here's the answer. When all of life fails and everything is turned against you, always remember there's a resurrection. I know it's not Easter, but I need to preach it to you anyway. You need to get up and remind yourself of the gospel every single day. You're a lot worse than you ever thought you were, but you're a lot more loved than you have the capacity to understand. Why? Because of the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. So no matter what you're facing, there's still a resurrection. Paul says, in fact, if there's not... We're done. Throw our Bibles in the streets and go out and live like heathens. If there is no resurrection. And you know what? It was a real resurrection with a real person, with a real body. Was it some just spiritual experience? 
Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And that's why I have hope when I stand next to a casket of a loved one. That's why I have hope when I stand there and put my hand on that casket one more time. Why? I don't have enough hope in my own brain or on my own heart or my own intellect. But I have hope because he had a resurrection. There's coming another resurrection. So I don't care where your problems come from. You may have caused them yourself. Hallelujah. Anybody ever cause problems themselves? I think the devil's going to be mad at us in eternity because we blame so much on him that was us. (sighs) Maybe society brought you problems. Maybe the enemy of your soul did bring you problems. But the source of your problems doesn't really matter. Why? Because God can use them for your growth and for his glory. What makes the difference? Here's the bottom line. My attitude. Consider it pure joy. The word consider means take a deliberate look at it. It means to evaluate it. It makes makes to make up your mind once and for all. While I'm living in the present, I look to the forward benefit of this problem. Consideration, ladies and gentlemen, is a choice. And although I cannot control the circumstances that happened to me many times in my life, I can control how I respond to them. Victor Frankl, the Jewish psychologist, spent many a long time in a Nazi concentration camp. And afterwards, he said, and I quote, he wrote... They stripped me naked. They took everything. They took my wedding ring, my watch. I stood there naked in front of everyone and all of a sudden realized at that moment that although they could take everything from me, my wife, my family, my possessions, they could not take away my freedom to choose how I was going to respond. See, I choose. Everybody say, I choose to rejoice in the midst of the situation. Psalms 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. Not in the good times. At all times. Not when things are going well. At all times. Why? His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Even when I don't feel like it. Even when things are not going right. Problems do not automatically produce blessings. For some people, problems destroy them and destroy their faith. So you either have a choice. You'd be bitter or better. And the only difference in the word is the letter I. It's my attitude. See, problems test people. Sometimes it makes people brittle. But we choose to respond. I choose to rejoice. I read this under the headings. This is an old article in a paper in Utah. Brian Heist had more than his share of bad luck in July. His apartment in Provo became flooded from a broken pipe in the upstairs apartment. The manager told him to get out and rent a water vacuum himself. That's when he discovered his car had a flat tire. He changed it, went back inside, called a friend for help. And from the electric shock he got from a shortened lamp in the middle of the water, Before he could leave the apartment a second time, a neighbor had to kick down the door because of the water damage, had now uh, jammed the door tight because it had expanded. And while all this was going on, someone stole Heist's car. But it was almost out of gas, so he found the car a few blocks away. But he had to push it to the gas station where he filled up the tank. 
That same day, Heist attended a military ceremony at his university. He injured himself severely when he somehow sat on his own bayonet, which he had tossed in the front seat of his car. Doctors were able to stitch up the wound, but no one was able to resuscitate four of Heist's canaries who now lay crushed under the death of broken plaster ceiling in his apartment after the water flood. After Heist then slipped again on the wet carpet and badly injured his tailbone, he said he began to wonder, and he said simply this, if God wanted me dead, he sure kept missing. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I tell you, that's the choice to have a good attitude. It's my choice to rejoice. Let me say that again. It's my choice to rejoice. I read this quote this week. Talking about your problems is your greatest addiction. Break the habit. Talk about your joy. Talking about my problems is my greatest addiction. We need to break the habit and talk about our joy. The second thing that we have to do is we have to request. Everybody say request. Pray. Of all the times to pray, we need to pray when we have problems. I'm amazed to see that the church stops praying when they get into problems, into situations. The church leaves the church and stops praying. When the world gets in the, into problems or situations, they come to the church and start praying. If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who what? Gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Why should I pray for wisdom? Hear me very carefully. So you won't waste the opportunity to grow. If you don't learn from it this time, there'll be one more lap around the wilderness. Because God always gives you an opportunity to learn the lesson till you do. A friend of mine, a great mentor of mine, Brother Moses Hightower, he said he called it the university of the well. And sometimes God just lets us keep going back to the well, just like Jonah, until we learn the lesson. We have to pray for wisdom. Hear me very carefully. Wisdom is simply seeing life from God's point of view. Wisdom is simply seeing life from God's point of view. There is no situation in this life that you can't learn from if you have the right attitude. Don't ask why, ask what. The why is to purify your faith, to fortify your patience, and sanctify your character. But ask God, what do you want to teach me in the middle of this situation? And what are you trying to develop in me? Third and last, the third thing we have to do is we have to rest. We have to trust God to know what's best for our life. We have to cooperate with his purpose so we don't short-circuit the process. That's why it's called faith. When you ask You must believe and not doubt. What are you talking about resting in, David? I'm talking about resting in God's promise and your identity as the identity of God's child. We must let God do his perfect work. That's why you need to pray for two things. Wisdom to understand the trial and faith to endure the trial. Because you got to have both. James says you need the wisdom to know what's going on and you need the faith to hang in and never give up. You never have a failure. You never are a failure until you quit. God says the devil wants to use problems to defeat you, but God wants to use these problems to develop you. It's your choice. 
And some of you are going through tough times right now. And I understand that. We all go through tough times. And it seems hard. And it seems unfair. But I come to remind you on the Wednesday night that God still cares. I said God still cares. God hasn't forgotten you. God hasn't forgotten you. God knows exactly where you're at. God knows your number. The very hairs on your head or lack thereof are numbered. And he knows exactly where you're at. And God has the power to do something with your situation. Why? Because God is a miracle working God. And in one moment of time, you can come out of your wilderness and step into a promised land. There's a fantastic promise in verse 12. Blessed is the man or woman who perseveres under trial. When he has stood the test of time, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Ladies and gentlemen, God is calling us to persevere. God is doing things in our life to strengthen us. Said so David, it doesn't look good right now. I know. But if you'll hold on, God's going to take something and he's going to take the bad and he's going to turn it into good. There's some days that sometimes all you have is enough faith to stand up and look at yourself in the mirror. And say to yourself and say to the enemy of your life and say to God, I'm still standing. Oh, who am I talking to tonight? I'm still standing. I may feel weary. I may feel beat down. I may not have all the answers, but I'm still standing. And Paul says, while you stand, just keep standing. Just keep standing. Just keep standing. And I've come here to encourage somebody today. No matter what you're going through. If you'll just keep standing. You're going to see God do a work in your life. That you will be amazed. Who am I talking to today? And you're going through something. A challenge. A circumstance. A problem. Anybody got any problems here? Stand to your feet if you got problems. I'm still standing. The enemy meant it for evil, but I'm still standing. Israel, when you go through the fire, make sure you keep going. When you go through the flood, make sure you keep going. Because if God sends you through, he's going to bring you out on the other side. And there's nothing in my life and nothing in your life that is out of God's control. It may feel like chaos. Anybody? Maybe I'm just preaching to myself tonight. It's okay. I'm going to preach myself through this. I said, I'm going to preach, Sister Daughter, I'm going to preach myself through this. And you know what? When I come out on the other side of this and my leg gets a little stronger, you're going to see me shout. You ain't seen me shout yet, but you're going to see me shout. I may not be through it yet, but there's coming a day when I'm coming out of this. 
I said, I'm coming out of this. And when I come out, hold on to your hat, honey. I'm going to come out shouting. I said, I'm going to come out shouting. Until I get to that point, I'm going to look at myself in the mirror and say, I'm still standing. I'm not going to look too close in the mirror because it don't look good. But I'm, I'm still standing. I hope I've encouraged you today. Because sometimes that's all you got. It's just, I'm still standing. And the enemy wants to come in like a flood. I don't know many of you, but I know some of you. And I know that life has been brutal. And people have mishandled you. You've been hurt. And life is unfair. And you've lost loved ones. Parents have lost children. Spouses have lost spouses. You've lost job. You've lost money. You've lost houses. But let me tell you something. God is still with you. We used to sing an old song, Sister June. It's going to be worth it all. I wish I could sing that right now, but I can't. So I'll spare you. It's going to be worth it all. What's going to be worth it all? Everything you went through. I said everything you went through. It's going to be worth it all. Why? Because in eternity, it won't really matter. We're going to spend eternity worshiping him. Praising him. Magnifying him. Loving on him. Lord Jesus. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your word. I pray, God, that we could take your word tonight and not just hear it on a Wednesday night, but take it and apply it on a Thursday morning. Live it out on a Friday afternoon. Revisit it on a Saturday and come back to it on Sunday. Let us not just be hearers, but let us be doers. And we may face situations tomorrow. We may be. There's people here under the sound of my voice, Lord. And this is just what I pray. I just pray right now. I pray right now. I pray for the spirit of encouragement. To breathe on this house. As people get in their cars and they go home. Go through the drive through go back to their house, whatever they're doing, putting kids to bed, weighed down, bills on the table, worries about tomorrow. I pray that the fresh wind of the Holy Ghost would just breathe, just breathe. Encouragement. Encouragement. Right now. If you receive that, could you just lift your hands one more time? Lord, I receive encouragement. I receive strength. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you've brought us through so much. We're standing here tonight. And it's all because of the power of the gospel. It's because of the power of your strength. Thank you, Jesus. As you go out into this world this week, encourage somebody, love somebody. Invite them to church and tell them what God's doing at TPC. We believe that the church is the hope of the world. 
I said, we believe that the church is the hope of the world. And I believe that God wants to do great things this Sunday. Let's fill this place up. I said, let's fill this place up on daylight savings time. Let's fill this place up. Let's come with expectation. Let's come with the praise in our heart and on our lips on Sunday and say, God, I'm here to see what you're going to do. And I want to be a part of it. We love you. We can't wait to see you this weekend. Have a great week.